0: Dismissed from drama school with a note that read, wasting her time, she's too shy to put her best foot forward. Turned down by the Decca Recording Company who said, we don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. A failed soldier, farmer, and real estate agent. At 38 years old, he went to work for his father as a handyman. Cut from the high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. The teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything, and he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. His fiance died, he failed in business twice, he had a nervous breakdown, and he was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, you've never lived.
1: Good morning, Rockbridge. It's good to see you all this morning. Glad to be here. We're going to hear our sermon series on some stories that they didn't tell you in Sunday school, and I have a doozy for you one this morning. It's going to be incredibly scandalous. In fact, there are probably many people who would say some of the stuff we're going to talk about, you probably shouldn't talk about in church. But failure is a reality. In fact, we know this, and yet it is one of the things that we are most afraid of in life. I found one statistic that said, we are more afraid of failure than we are of being alone, than we are of spiders, and and we're more afraid of failure than we are of ghosts. And I think it's because when we fail, we feel vulnerable. But I think we have to remember, this just came to me this morning. Do we believe in grace? Do we believe that God's grace is sufficient for us, when we make mistakes, when sometimes when we do our best and still fail. You know, Michelle and I have been married 11 years now. We met 12 years ago, and I almost knew instantaneously that I met Michelle. I mean, y'all have met her. She knew how a wonderful person she is, right? I mean, instantaneously fell in love. Now, she took her a little bit to decide that I was worth... (laughs) And yes, I did tell her I was going to talk about her in the service. But it took her a while to figure out that I was, I was worth, worth it. But the day finally came that I've been planning to ask her to marry me. And I botched it royally. So the first thing was, we, our first date, was, we went to the Arboretum. If you've ever been, they have this nice little trail you can go down. And so I thought, you know, I will take her down there. Her friend was going to show up and take pictures, and I'll take her down to the trail. But I didn't really think, you know, we, we met in June, and we were getting married in December. So by the time we had dinner, it was already dark outside, so we couldn't go down the trail. So that was, that was mistake number one. The second mistake is at the Arboretum, there are these statues of cows. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? There's these cat, statues of cows, so I'm so nervous. And, and and guys who have ever proposed to a woman, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're just you're sweating. I mean, I was pretty sure she would say yes. I, I felt pretty confident in that, but I was I was so nervous that I didn't pay attention to where I knelt down, and it was right in front of the cow's butt. <laughs> so in all of our engagement photos or, or pictures of us being of me proposing, there's a giant cow's butt in the photo. And then, uh, they really, someone needs to write like a guide for young men or people <laughs> who propose because I do not even think about these things and I was so nervous that I opened the ring backwards, the box backwards, so I, I guess I was proposing to myself <laughs> and then I didn't know that it was standard protocol to take the ring out of the box and put it on her finger so she is consistently giving me a hard time for that for our entire marriage. So. She still said yes, though, by the way. Spoiler. She did say yes. But what I learned is that when I get anxious and nervous, I don't think through all of the details. You know, it wasn't that big a deal because in that moment, I don't know that it really matters, and it's been a great story for our whole marriage. But when we make mistakes, we've got to learn from those mistakes so that we can grow to be the people that God wants us to be. Now I'm going to tell you another story, and this is not one of those things where someone was trying their best. This is one of those kind of mistakes that you do not want to make. There was a a king, and he saw a woman that he was attracted to, who happened to be married. But that's fine. He's the king. He doesn't care. And so he sent some servants. She comes over, and they had relations. And everything went on, only to find out he got the woman pregnant. This is like, no big deal. Husband's away at war, which, again, an awful thing to do to take advantage of someone's wife while they're away at war, fighting your war for you. So he says, I'll call him home, and then he will have relations with his wife, and it will cover everything up. Except when the man came home, he was like, I can't sleep with my wife while all my men are in the field. So he refused to do it. So the king couldn't cover up his mistake. And so he sent the man back with a letter. To his commander and said Put this man in the front lines And make sure that he dies So then he has the man murdered This is in the Bible y'all He has the man murdered To cover up his mistake And only When he's confronted later He ends up going and marrying the woman And making her his queen And only when he's confronted With the mistake later Does he ever admit Do y'all know who we're talking about? king david like when we think about the characters in the bible there's moses there's david there's jesus and the disciples we're talking about one of the biggest characters in the bible had lustful thoughts about a woman had an adultery had an adulterous affair with another man's wife then murdered the husband to cover it up i mean this is this is crazy this is scandalous There's a reason we probably don't tell this particular story to our kids, right? Actually, funny story, I actually remember when my parents watched a movie about David when I was a kid, and they sent all the kids out of the room because it was too scandalous. And I hope that you never mess up to the scale that David messes up in this story. But if we look at David's life and his mistake, we can learn a few things about how we can come back from mistakes. That if we are honest and we own up to our mistake and seek forgiveness. That if we spend time recovering and then we try to learn from our mistake, we can still be the people that God calls us to be, no matter how small the mistake is or how big it is. Because God's grace is big enough for all of our mistakes. Our scripture today comes from 2 Samuel, verses 12 through 1. So this is right after that story that I just told you in, in Samuel. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, now let's stop there for a second. Nathan is a prophet. So prophets already are not like because they speak God's truth to power and to people and they call people out when they do something wrong. And so the Lord sends Nathan to David to tell him that God knows what he's done, that he's made this big mistake. David has already had someone murdered. So you can imagine what Nathan may have felt like in this moment to go up to a powerful person and speak truth and say, you have wronged your fellow person, and you have wronged God. When Nathan arrived, he said, and this is brilliant. I love what Nathan does here. When Nathan arrived, he said, there were two men in the same city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a lot of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing. Just as one small ewe lamb That he had bought, he raised that lamb and he grew up with him and his children. It would eat food from his table and drink from his cup, even sleep in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a a traveler came to visit the rich man, but he wasn't willing to take anything from his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had arrived. Instead, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the visitor. David got very angry at the man and said to Nathan, "As surely as the Lord demands, the one who did this is demonic." He must restore the ewe lamb seven times older because he did this and because he had no compassion. This is where it gets good. You are that man, Nathan told David. This is what the Lord God says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from Saul's power. I gave your master's house to you, and I gave your wives into your embrace. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that was too little, I would have given you even more. God is willing to give David anything that he wanted. Why have you despised the Lord's word and by doing what is evil in his eyes? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife as your own. You used the Ammonites to kill him. Because of that, you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite as your own. The sword will never leave your house. Do you hear what he says? You despise the Lord's word. And if you think about that, that's absolutely true. Think about the Ten Commandments he broke. Don't sleep with another man's wife. Don't lie. Don't covet. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't take what is not yours. And what we also know is that God really cares in how we treat each other. So really he was ignoring the first four about the Lord being your God and not having any idols. David's idol was his own desire. He thought he was something special. And so he could do whatever he wanted. And he caused destruction destruction. In his land, because of it. it, says the sword will never leave your house. If you know the story of David, he has one son Absalom who rises up in, in rebellion against him and eventually is killed. And he has another son Adonijah who is eventually killed by Solomon. So his whole family is just immersed in conflict, all created by what David did and his choices. This is what the Lord says. I'm making trouble come from inside your own family. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to your friend, and he will have sex with your wives in broad daylight. You did what you did secretly, but I will do what I am doing before all Israel and in the light of day. I have sinned against the Lord, David said to Nathan. The Lord has removed your sin, Nathan replied. You won't die. However, because you utterly disrespected the Lord by doing this, the son born to you will definitely die. And then Nathan went home. Now, there's several different ways to look at this particular conversation and we can wonder whether or not God caused the death of, of David's child or perhaps the child was going to get sick and God would have healed the child. Whatever it is, God is saying, you made your bed and now you get to sleep in it. That's what God does. When we make big mistakes, God lets us deal with the consequences of our choices. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're given grace. But we still have to deal with the consequences of our choices in our relationships. Again, no one in here, I'm sure, would make these kind of mistakes, right? Uh, this is a pretty high standard, but I think it gives us a great example of how we can come back from major failures, major mistakes, or even small ones in our life. And the first thing that we need to do is we need to own up. We need to humbly own up to what we do. We need to humbly own up when we make mistakes. Now, it took David a little bit, but he does get credit that eventually he says, I have sinned before you, Lord. When we make mistakes, do we go to those people we hurt, to those that we broke a relationship with, and say, I have sinned before you, I have hurt you, and I am deeply sorry. So the first thing that we need to do is let people know when we've made mistakes. Because, you know, parents, I know y'all never make mistakes, right? Right? But parents, when you make mistakes, that's an opportunity for your children to see how to ask for forgiveness, to receive forgiveness and receive grace. It's okay to let your children and your family and your work and people to see that you're human because you know what? We are human. We're going to make mistakes just because we're living. And that's the second part of this. Once we've made those mistakes and we've owned up to it, we both have to seek forgiveness and give forgiveness. So we need to seek forgiveness. We need to go up to people that we have hurt and said, you know, sorry, Josh, you're always in the front row, but Josh, I'm sorry. I, I messed up. I made a mistake, and, and I hope that you'll forgive me. Now, Josh has to forgive me, whether or not I do that or not. You know, I, I heard an interesting quote this week that if, when we don't forgive others, it's kind of like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Because when we hold unforgiveness in our heart, it only harms ourselves, We have to forgive whether or not the person seeks forgiveness. But if we want to be the kind of people that grow, that come back from our mistakes and our failures, we need to own up to those and seek forgiveness. And then once we have, no matter how bad it is, and we've made bad mistakes in our life. I know I've made horrible mistakes in my life. No matter how bad a mistake that you have made, you have to forgive yourself. I'm going to say that again. No matter how bad a mistake that you have made you have to forgive yourself. You have to believe that God's grace is for you. You have to believe that there will be a better day. It's so important. Because when we hold unforgiveness in our heart, whether it's against someone else or for ourselves, it blocks our relationship with God. Because how can we believe that God can forgive us from our sins if we're not willing to forgive others or forgive ourselves? So the first thing that we do when we make mistakes is we have to humbly own up to it. The second thing we have to do is we have to recover. We have to seek to heal. And it's going to take time. I know, do you know that feeling you get when you've messed up and it kind of gets you in the pit of your stomach and you just feel upset and kind of sick? Anybody ever feel that way? That's like a chemical reaction in your body and you're going to need time to recover. You need to rest. You need to be able to give yourself a break. And say, okay, I'm going to need to rest. I'm going to need to recover because it, it hurts within me. And then once we've had that time to rest, we need to look to others for help. Once we've had some rest, we look to others to help. David wouldn't have admitted his sin if it hadn't been for Nathan, right? Right? David wouldn't have admitted his sin if it hadn't been for Nathan. Nathan was a prophet, and this, the funny thing is that Nathan was David's guy. This was the guy who had come to David and said, hey, God is going to bless you. You, David, are the seed for which the Messiah is going to come. David is an incredibly important person in Scripture, and Nathan had been building him up. Can you imagine how Nathan felt when he heard from God, what David had done? Anybody have a relationship with someone you trusted and loved and cared for, and they just really screw up big time, and yet Nathan still shows up? We need those people in our life. Michelle reminded me on uh, Wednesday that we need Pauls, and we need Timothys, and we need Silas's in our life. So Pauls, we need mentors. People who walk with us so they can help us recover. They can help us. They have a little bit of wisdom. Maybe they're a little bit older than us, and they've gone through a few things, and they have a little bit of wisdom to help us learn from our mistakes. Then we need people like Silas. Silas was the one who traveled with Paul. And we need people who walk alongside of us, our friends who hold us accountable, our friends who love us and they care for us. And we have the kind of relationship because we've invested in each other that we can say, hey, David, you really messed up. And they can hold you to be the person that you want to be. And then as we have those people pouring into us, we need to be pouring into people in our lives, in our community. We need to pick people who are younger, whether in faith or in life, and mentor them as they struggle, as they make mistakes. Because we all do it. We act like we never make mistakes, but yet every single one of us has failed in some manner. And we can take the wisdom that we have learned from our mistakes and help people grow and learn. And then, once we have those folks, we need to proceed with integrity. I love this definition of integrity that integrity is the courage to do what is right, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it costs us something. So, after we've made mistakes, we've got to show people that we are now trustworthy. We've got to show people that we're not going to continue to make the same mistake over and over again. The last thing that we need to do is we have to learn from our mistakes. Someone once said, those who don't learn from their mistakes are what? Doomed to repeat it. If we don't learn from our mistakes, if we don't learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it over and over and over again. We have to learn. I was reading in a a news article that companies are looking for people who haven't just succeeded their whole life, but have succeeded and failed some because they're trying new things and they're, they're trying to learn and grow and that they have recovered from their mistakes. We have to learn, and so we have to seek those opportunities, not to make mistakes, but seek opportunities that are going to challenge us, and we may make mistakes, we may fail at, and then fearlessly learn and grow for them. You know, in, in my situation, I learned something about myself, right? I learned that when I get nervous and I get anxious, I don't necessarily think through all the things I need to think through, and so throughout my life, I thought, okay, if I'm going to be in a situation where I'm going to feel anxiety, I need to plan it out a little bit better. For David, he realized that his sin brought death. His sin brought death in his life. His sin brought death in his community. And his sin brought death to others. And he realized that if he was going to be the kind of king that was promised, that he couldn't make those choices. He couldn't make those decisions. He couldn't bring death through his choices. And he was able to recover. He changed. He became the man that God wanted him to be. So much so that we think of, God, of David as a man after God's own heart. That's kind of the thing that I would like to be called, a man after God's own heart. Because he learned, he recovered, and he became who he was meant to be. So I want to invite you, stop fearing failure Please don't make any David-sized mistakes, right? <laughs> don't make those mistakes. But it's okay if you make a few mistakes, if you fail a little bit in your life. Don't fear it, because if you take the steps to own up for your mistakes, to recover, right, and to learn from them, you will be a better person. God will be with you. God's grace will fill you up, and you will be the person God wants you to be. But I think there's another piece to this, too. When we see other people making mistakes... We've got to extend to them the grace and forgiveness that we would like. We tend to want judgment for other people and grace and forgiveness for ourselves. So I'm inviting you, when you see other people make mistakes, extend them the grace and forgiveness that you would like to receive in the midst of those decisions. I want to leave you with this quote The good news is this God is always calling us back to integration, to be whole and undivided selves, united within ourselves in our commitment to God. So no matter how far you walk away from God, no matter how big the mistake is, God is always inviting you back into relationship. And there is forgiveness, and there is grace, and there is love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the time of service where we celebrate Holy Communion, the Eucharist, this mystery that we share together.